Uh, everybody pull out. I know some of y'all don't have uh, big, big money like this. This is a quarter. Um, but uh, it, get in your wallet or whatever and pull out a dollar bill or a quarter or a nickel or a dime. I don't know what, what all, uh, actually. But I, on these, I have three quarters up here. Uh, and on this one and on this one, there is a little phrase on the left-hand side uh, underneath George Washington's chin. And on this one, there is a phrase on, I'm sorry, this is on the right hand, because I don't know my left from my right. This is on the right hand side underneath George Washington's chin. This is a phrase, same phrase, on the left hand side, uh, right uh, beside his wig. And the phrase is what? What do you think the phrase is? I can't trick y'all, can I? Y'all got that figured out. In God we trust. Um, I, and I think that's awesome that we have it on our coins. And, you know, Supreme Court thinks it's kind of cool, too. And uh, not everybody thinks it's cool. But I think that's kind of cool. It's a nice phrase. It's, it's neat. It's fine. And in the church, you know, we're, yeah, in God we trust on our money. Yeah. That's awesome. But here's the thing. Um, it, some of you don't know me very well, and, and some of you are trying to get to know me, and, and that's even more frightening. Uh, but uh, I despise church games. I really do. I cannot stand them. Can't stand to play them. Don't like to watch them. Uh, and one of the church games that we do is we pick up a phrase or we have a word that we say, Man, that is awesome. We need that word. We need that phrase. And we'll repeat it and over and over and over again. And, 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 and the problem with that is it's just a phrase. See, today what we're going to learn is that Jesus is going to teach us a new way to live. And as he teaches us a new way to live, he's going to show us how to move from a phrase in God we trust to a lifestyle of trusting in God. And that's really what needs to happen for us. And my prayer is that all of us take a step forward. Uh, it's not bad to have the phrase, but if you don't have the lifestyle to match it, the phrase is empty. And so today, my prayer for us is that we all would take a step forward in connecting the phrase with the lifestyle. To, to step from in God we trust to trusting in God. And we're going to see this as Jesus encounters religious leaders. Now, these religious leaders, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, these religious leaders were adamant about playing church games. They were big time on phrases and, and ideas and philosophies, but Jesus was trying to move them from uh, that the, the phraseology of life and the ideology of life to actually living a life that is pleasing to God. And as we overhear his encounter with these religious leaders, I, I pray and I hope that he touches your heart and mine and helps us close the gap between what we say and what we do. That what we say in praise and worship and, and in church to God might come closer to how we actually think and feel and live. So Jesus is going to teach us a better way of life, 
all right? A better way of life. My daddy used to say it this way, Eric, lip and life must coincide. Does that make sense? Your walk's got to match your talk. Because if you had the talk without the walk, it's kind of empty. So let's see how Jesus can take us closer to trusting in God rather than just saying in God we trust. All right, Uh, Mark chapter 12, let's read it. And we're going to focus primarily on one phrase in this whole passage, and that's in verse 17. But let me read the entire passage. Uh, Mark chapter 12, begin verse 13. Then they, being the Sanhedrin, sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Let me say this quick. They, the Sanhedrin, sent Pharisees and Herodians. A couple of things about this. First, the Sanhedrin, that was the religious gurus of Palestine. They were in charge of all things religious in Palestine. And they had great position, they had great power, and they had prosperity. They had some money too. Uh, The Sanhedrin did not like Jesus too much. And in Mark chapter 11 and 12 and even in 13, we see Jesus encountering these these, uh, uh, representatives from the Sanhedrin who were trying to trip him uh, uh, so that they could take him out. Take him out. They, they wanted to trick him so that they could take him out. That was their goal. Uh, that's the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, you could not have gotten two more bitter opponents from the Sanhedrin to get together. Um, it's like Democrats and Republicans coming together in a unanimous decision. It, it, it doesn't happen. Uh, but for the Pharisees and the Herodians, in fact, they were more adamantly opposed you can imagine, they were more adamantly opposed to each other than even uh, Democrats and Republicans. Uh, If you want to get closer, it it would be like like MSNBC and Fox News coming together and joining as one station. (laughs) That's not going to happen. All right, so anyway, uh, (laughs) I could go on. It's like Rachel Maddow teaming up with Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> it's like Bill Maher uh, teaming up with uh, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, it's just not going to happen. But that's the Pharisees and the Herodians, okay? And uh, they get together, and uh, they have one aim in mind, and that is to trap Jesus. All right, so we, let's move on. Verse 13, and they, they wanted to catch him or trap him in his words. Verse 14, and when they had come, they said to Jesus, teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one for you. Don't regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. All right, let me stop right there. What, what they're doing is called flattery. They don't mean a thing that they're saying, but what they're saying is true, that Jesus uh, is going to teach the truth of God, not really, uh, not going to try to please people. He's just going to teach the truth of God. All right. So that's what they said was true. They just didn't believe it. All this great truth on lying lips. Uh, and, and so they go on and here, here's the trick. Okay. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? All right. So here's the trick. If they were trying to trap Jesus on the horns of a dilemma, if Jesus said, Yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar to the, uh, to his, um, uh, to the crowd that was there and, and the common people in the crowd and to Jewish people in general. They would have seen that as heresy. 
uh, because uh, to pay taxes to Caesar is to, uh, and to do it willingly and say it's lawful is to say it's good to uh, give your allegiance to Caesar. And for a good Jewish person, a faithful Jewish person, that was inappropriate. So uh, if Jesus said, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, he was going to be accused of heresy by the crowd and the religious leaders as well. Then if he said no, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he was going to be labeled a revolutionary. Rome was going to tag him with terrorist status. And when he went through TSA in Jerusalem, they were going to arrest him. All right, but seriously, that's, that's what was going to happen. If he, if he said, yeah, uh, no, it's if he said, yes, it's lawful, he would get in trouble with the crowd. If he said, no, it's not lawful, then uh, it, he would get in trouble with Rome. All right, so they were trying to trap him on the horns of a dilemma, thinking they were going to catch him, and, uh, and yet Jesus uh, kind of giggled, I'm sure, at their trick. All right, so, so they, they ask him the question, verse 15, but Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. And they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and whose inscription is this? And they said to him, that's Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar. And this is the key phrase. Render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and render to God that which belongs to God. And they marveled at him. So what, what, what are we going to look at here? Well, Jesus is dealing with people who put their trust preeminently in themselves, and they were living a life that they could manage. That's the religious leaders. He was talking to people, his disciples and the followers, who were trying to figure out a better way of doing life. And he's speaking to us today uh, in how we can move from just uh, a phrase of, yeah, in God we trust, to actually living a life of trusting God so that we might taste life in all of its fullness. And, and as he walks through the maze of these questions, he gives us this one central principle that we all need to take hold of. When Jesus said, render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, render to God that which belongs to God, he wasn't really talking about Caesar so much as he was talking about God. And every person who heard that phrase, render to God that which belongs to God, recognized this one truth. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Now, here's the thing. You and I need to get hold of this. Everything belongs to God. Everything, your business, your car, the rubber on the tires of your car, the gasoline in the tank of your car, the, uh, the house in which you live, the very dirt on the floor or the cobwebs in the corner of the house belong to God. Your shoes, your sandals, your flip-flops, your shorts, even your unmentionables belong to God. The money you have in your pocket, the money you have in your bank, and the money you have in your retirement belongs to God. Your uh, fun things like fly fishing rods, they belong to God. Even the flies that I tie myself belong to God. My time belongs to God. My thoughts belong to God. My words belong to God. My feelings belong to God. Everything belongs to God. 
The sun belongs to God. The moon belongs to God. The earth belongs to God. The rocks and the trees and the birds and the bees and the fishes and the fishes and the deep blue sea, they all belong to God. You belong to God. As Jesus said, render to God that which belongs to God, every person there immediately thought, well, everything belongs to God. And that's where we have to begin. If we're going to taste life in all its fullness, if we're going to move from a phrase, in God we trust, to actually trusting in God, then we need to understand that everything belongs to Him. Everything, even those people that don't believe in God, belong to God. That don't like God, are hostile toward God. They belong to God. See, when Jesus took the coin and he said, uh, he said somebody give me a coin. He said, somebody give me a denarius. And the only, person in the, uh, the only people in the crowd that had a denarius were the religious people who were fat cats. I mean, they, they were wealthy. So, so he, he, looked, he was looking at one of them, and it must have been a Herodian who gave it to him because the Pharisee was smarter than that. But, but he, he looked, and Herodian said, hey, here, let me, give you, let me give you a denarius. And Jesus caught it in his hand, and, and then he said, he gathered the crowd around. Now, most of the crowd that was with him, that was, they had never seen a denarius. They were too poor for that. There were kids who had never seen that chunk of metal before. So he gathers the kids around, gathers the adults around. He said, can y'all help me here? Uh, whose image? Now, image is an important word. Whose image is on this coin? And what is the inscription all about? And they said, well, that, that's Caesar. That's Caesar on that coin. And you don't know what the inscription says. Mark doesn't record that. But here's what the inscription on the denarius in, in uh, uh, the first century A.D. said. Caesar, who is God. Okay? So, so the coin itself said that Caesar was God. All right? So Jesus looks and he says, now that inscription says Caesar is God. That picture says Jesus is God. That, that, that image is of Caesar. And he held it in his hand. He probably played with it. I don't think he dropped it because Jesus didn't. Do you know, I think Jesus might have snorted in contempt. I don't know if Jesus snorted, but I can imagine he, <laughs> he, he gave a good old harumph. <laughs> you know? And he looked at that and he said, you know, this little insignificant piece of metal, why don't you give it back to Caesar to whom it belongs? And then he turned to the crowd and he said, but remember this, render to God all things that belong to him. I mean, he passed over Caesar pretty quick. He said, this is just an ins insignificant chunk of metal. He said, but now let's think about God. What belongs to God? Everything. As we read this passage, there's a, another interesting aspect here. When it says, when Jesus asks the question, whose image is on the coin? That term for image is icon. And icon uh, is, is uh, the same word in the Greek Old Testament that uh, is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where God says, where, where Scripture says that God made man and woman in his own icon, his own image and likeness. 
So Jesus was kind of saying, okay, uh, Caesar put his stamp on a little piece of metal that's worth about 10 cents. But God put his stamp on every created human being of all time. You see, all creation, all human beings from the very beginning of creation to today and and until Jesus comes out, we've all been made in God's image. And that means we belong to him. Maybe Jesus was thinking about Psalm 24, verse 1. He said, which which says that, that the whole earth and all of its fullness belongs to the Lord. There is nothing in the universe at any point in time that does not belong to God. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to look at Mark chapter 13, where Jesus is talking about the end of time. He said, now, let me tell you something. What's going to happen is all the nations are going to come and they're going to bend their knee to God because he owns them. God owns everything. God owns that pew. That's what this little bench is called. It's called a pew. God owns the pew. God owns this carpet. God owns that chair. God God owns every little hair on your head and even the bald stuff on the back of mine. God owns it all. Most importantly, God owns you. Again, we're Americans. We don't like to be owned. But that's part of our problem. In pride, we say we are autonomous creatures. We need to get out of that business. See, I belong to God, whether I like it or not. And if we're going to move from from words, just good old-fashioned church words, to actually living a life of trusting God so that we might taste a life that he has designed for us to live, we need to go back to the simple principle that everything belongs to God. He said, render to God everything those things that belong to God, and that's everything. So the first principle moving from in God we trust to actually trusting in God is is to acknowledge that everything belongs to him, including me, including the intangible things, the, the things, the things that I think, the things that I think to say, but I don't say, the things that I want to put on Twitter that I don't put on Twitter, and there is a lot of things that I want to put on Twitter that I never put on Twitter, and you should be very thankful Even even the thoughts of my mind, the things we do in secret and the things we do out loud, everything belongs to him. So we need to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. And that leads us to point number two, which is we need to give God our absolute allegiance. If everything belongs to him and we're going to move from simply saying in God we trust to actually trusting in God, we acknowledge the big picture, the biggest picture of all, everything belongs to God, to the more personal picture. If I belong to God, then I'm going to acknowledge it and I'm going to give him my absolute allegiance. Do you know what God requires of you? You. You. Not part of you. Not a portion of you, not the part that you, the only, only that little part that you want to give. He, he requires all of you. Now, as we gather here, it, it, it kind of ups a little bit because um, the, not only does God own us, not only are we his possession because he made us in his image, but as we've gathered here as the people of God, he owns us specifically. 
personally, intentionally. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we might become his people, children adopted into his family. He owns us. The Apostle Paul said that that you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. What is the price that purchased us? What is it? Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus paid the price so that we might have forgiveness of sin and a life wrapped up in the pleasure of God. And that's a free gift. That is a free gift, you know? That grace that he gives us, man, he gives it freely. But as he gives it freely, he also plants upon us a new nature by which we live each moment in allegiance to him. Can I ask you, and I know this is tough. It's easy for me to say it. It's harder for me to live it. I understand that. I mean, I'm I'm in that dilemma every single moment of every single day, just like you are. But it doesn't change the fact that you and I, we have to stop living our lives in absolute allegiance to self. And we need to start living our lives in absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. It's hard. It's tough. It's challenging. See, I, I like to do relationships the way I want to do relationships. How many of y'all have ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I like, I like to do relationships the way I want to do it. I'll do a relationship, and I'll say, oh, that, you know, woo, let me do it my way. You know what happens when I do relationships my way? What do you think happens when I do relationships my way? Oh, that, it's a mess. Oh, my goodness, what a mess. I have, a, I have a great resume of messes that I've made in my relationships because I like to do relationships my way. And then I am challenged, okay? So I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm, 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 man, I made a mess of relationships. I'm in conflict and chaos in my relationships, don't know how to fix it. And then I'm sitting there and I'm saying, oh, well, maybe if in absolute allegiance to God, I let him take charge of my relationships, I mean, he owns them anyway. Why don't I let him dictate how I do a relationship? Not how I feel, not what I want, not what I think is going to get me the most of me. Well, why don't I do relationships the way God says? I don't know if you've ever done this, but here's what happens in my little mind. I, I, I hear this, you know, I need to do, uh, absolutely just God, I need to do relationships God's way. But, but then I start thinking, well, if I do relationships God way, God's way, man, that's going to make everything messy. Because there are things that are going to have to stop and there are things that are going to have to change. I, man, that's going to be crazy. I don't really want to do it. Duh, you've already made the mess. And God wants to clean it up if we would change, adjust, give ourselves an absolute allegiance to him in our relationships, in our finances, in our work, in our play, in our home, in our friendships, in our dating, in our marriages. If we would give absolute allegiance to God, then he will fix the mess that we've already made. If we move from In God we trust, as just a phrase, to actually trusting God with those relationships so that we do the relationships he says, the way he says, and do our money the way he says, and do our life the way he says, then we will experience life the way we long to know it.
Jesus said, render to God the things that belongs to God. Give back to God. Give to God your absolute allegiance. Now, a couple of verses that, uh, that, that I'll, uh, well, I'll just do one. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. And you've, you've probably heard me uh, share this one before. Um, uh, uh, Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul was saying, hey, listen, I'm dead to myself. I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, there's the key. See, part of our problem is we just don't trust God. We trust ourselves, all evidence to the contrary of it going well for us, but we're not trusting God. Today, if we're going to do life and experience the fullness of life and taste life and all of its pleasure the way God has designed, we need to let go of allegiance for ourselves and give absolute allegiance to the one who died for me. I, 2 Corinthians 5, for, um, um, that we're, we're no longer to live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. And Judge Leslie, I mean, if he died for all, then, then, then all have died, and he died for us so that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Guys, he owns us. And we need to give him our absolute allegiance. And as we give him our absolute, absolute allegiance, the third thing is we need to give him more than our words. We've got to give him more than our words. And, and this is the church thing that we need to get over. We're big on words. I'm big on words. Do you know how many words I've shared today already? I mean, go think. Wow. I, I, we're big on words. But, but if we're going to move from in God we trust to Actually, trusting in God, we, we've got to get beyond just lip service. We, we need to move from merely saying to doing. You see, if we have works, if, if we have these words that we're using, but we don't have a, a lifestyle to back it up, then, then we're in trouble. We're hypocrites. You realize that's what a hypocrite is. You say one thing and you do something different. I giggle when people say to me, oh, there are hypocrites in that church. I don't ever want to go there. I, you know what my standard response is? You want, you want to hear it? You ready for it? All right, so they say to me, I don't want to go to that church. There are hypocrites in that church. My response is, what? Do you know a place where there aren't any hypocrites? You, you found a place where there aren't any hypocrites? What? That's, that's, like, that's like somebody saying that there's a place where there aren't any liars. Really? Do you mean you found a place where there's not any hypocrites? And of course, they look at me like, you goofball. You know, there will be a place where there aren't any hypocrites. That's called heaven. But every other place is filled with hypocrites until we get to heaven. Because hypocrisy is simply saying one thing doing something different. I've got a secret for you. I'm a hypocrite. I know that boy, whom? Oh, I am. There's an inconsistency in me at different times. 
sometimes more than others. But I don't want, I don't want to live in that hypocrisy. I want to give God more than my words of allegiance. I want to give him my lifestyle of allegiance. When Jesus said, render to God the things that belong to him, he's saying, don't just say you're going to do it, actually do it. Which brings us back to the coin. I've got to tell you, the reason we don't move from words to deeds, the reason we don't move from um, in God we trust is simply a phrase to actually trusting in God, the reason we don't go there is because we don't trust him. We're, we're, we're not even trying to trust him. So when Jesus is holding the coin, he's really trying to make a point to us. This is a silly piece of metal. But if there's one thing that demonstrates a heart's allegiance in practical ways, it's how we deal with this piece of metal. I want to ask you a question. I haven't asked this of any other hour, but I'm going to ask you. Do you, if you were to think about it, how much of this in real dollar terms, how much of this have you rendered to the federal government in 2012? And how much did you render to God? in 2012. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand. If you gave more to God than you give, gave to the federal government, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you did, would you come see me after church? I want to hug your neck. <laughs> we may put a plaque up uh, uh, for you in, in, the, in the grand line. I mean, that's amazing. But it shouldn't be, should it? And you just have a simple comparison. God owns everything, and yet we don't give him back a portion, a fraction of what we give the federal government. It's just a thought for us to think about. It's really not the deal. But here's the deal. How are you dealing with this? Money? Are you trusting God with your financial resources? See, in part, Jesus is telling us, put your money where your mouth is. I know some of you, you you've never been a participant in giving regularly through, uh, to the church, and, and maybe you don't understand it. Let me just give you a brief synopsis from the very beginning of how God related to his people. He set up a system by which his people would return to him a portion of what he had entrusted to them. So if God gave 10 cattle, he said, I want you to give me one back. And God gave, gave you 20 chickens, he said, I want you to give me two chickens back. And God gave you an acre of land and you hauled in uh, 300 bushel of corn, he wanted 30, 30 of those bushel. Does it make sense? So that was the system that he set up from the very beginning of his relating to his people. And the reason he did that was not so that he could get uh, fat coffers. The reason he did that is because he was trying to teach dependence upon him, trust in him. 
Now, some of us are here today, and, and uh, we have $2.50 that God has entrusted to us, but we're not re- really that fired up about giving God a quarterback. And we're, not, we're not so sure about that. But in order for us to move from just mere words in God we trust to actually trusting God, we've got to take a step. Today, I want to encourage you, if you've never been a participant in, in, in what we call giving in the church, I, you, need, you need to exercise your faith. You need to believe that God will take care of the details that you're dealing with. Start. Just start. Literally, give a quarter today. Start. Give a quarter next week. Start. Begin a journey of trusting God. Now, some of you are here, and you have been a participant in giving through the church, but it hadn't been uh, 10%. It hadn't been anything like that. It's been, maybe it's a flat fee. You know, maybe you're a flat fee kind of person. You know, I'm going to give $25 to the church this week. And, and every week you give $25. I'm giving $25, $25, unless you go to see a movie and then you say, well, you know, I spent that money at the movie and that was for my, and God would be pleased with me using money that way. So, you know, that's kind of a joke, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all ever been there? I used to be there all day. No? You know, y'all get really quiet when I start talking about money like this. Uh, and maybe, maybe you've been on this journey where you are giving, but, but you're, not, you're not to that one out of 10 cows. Maybe you cut the cow in half and give God half a cow. But to close the gap between just mere talk and actually trusting God, maybe God would have you start stretching toward the tithe. Maybe he would have you today say in your head and your heart, you know what, I've been stagnant Spiritually, on my journey, I've been stagnant in my faith, and maybe I need to take this very tangible step where I trust God in very practical ways. Maybe, maybe you've been giving your tithe since you were a little boy in Sunday school, put it in an envelope and gave it. You know, you've been giving your tithe every week. Or every other week. And yet today, you look at your spiritual life and you say, you know what? Maybe I've been a little bit stagnant myself. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. But, you know, maybe God is leading me to a journey where I up my dependence upon God a little bit more. Where I stretch beyond the tithe. I'm not sure, and honestly, I'm not, the, I'm not the money police, never have been, never will be. I'm not sure where you are, but I do know this. You and I need to put our money where our mouth is. We've got to move from a phrase, as religious and as spiritual as it sounds, in God we trust, to actually trusting in God then we taste a life filled with dependence and provision. You see, here's what God promises, and here's the promise that comes to the end. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, 
God's talking to his people, and, and, and he uses some pretty harsh language. And, and then he says, he says, and try me, he said, bring your money, bring, your, bring the tithe to the storehouse, he says, and try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Malachi 3.10. Now get this. If we're going to move from in God we trust to actually trusting God, it means that we're going to look at our finances. We're not going to make a, an accounting decision. We're going to make a faith decision. And we're going to say, I'm going to be faithful in my stewardship as God leads me. And I'm going to let God handle the details. The question is, will you trust God? We're here today and we are a conservative group of people and we say, in God we trust. Yeah! God is far more, far more concerned that we are a faithful people who live a life of trusting in God. Let's do it today.